All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the second epistle of Peter. Now, the last time we were here, we were looking at some introductory material concerning second Peter. That is the theme of Peter and what was basically the purpose of Peter. Stuff like that. You'll see it in the introduction that we talked about. But as we get into chapter one, we want to remind you once again with respect to the theme of Peter. That is, Peter is going to deal with um, false prophets and false teachers that will arise uh, amongst Jewish Christians. And so he also talks about things of the last day. We'll talk about all of those things once we get into second Peter. But the primary point of Peter is to warn them of such false teachers and false prophets that will arise amongst them. Now, as we prepare to get into chapter one, what we have to understand is with respect to this overall understanding of false teachers and false prophets, as he gets into chapter one, he's going to talk about true knowledge. And we'll talk about all of that once we get there. Once again, that word will be epignosis. But anyway, but his whole point will be dealing with that a practical side, a practical side of knowledge. And that is over against the false teachers and false prophets. So he's preparing them. And chapter one is going to be preparation. But over against these false teachers and false prophets, who will claim that they have true knowledge. And that's the whole idea about being able to uh, foretell of what God will do or being able to teach something, having a unique knowledge that no one else have. And therefore you're able to teach somebody else. But over against these false teachers, and false prophets who are claiming to have specific knowledge of things to come, things concerning God and Christ, it is actually false because true knowledge, true knowledge of God and Christ has to do, or should we even say, is evidenced in how you live that righteous and holy life. This kind of coming out of what Peter was talking about in his first epistle. Remember the first epistle of Peter, where he talked about the practicality of godly, of godly living. That is living a life of godliness, living righteously, in an ungodly world, even under severe persecution and mistreatment. OK, but nevertheless, the determination is to live in a way that pleases God. As we get into second Peter, this will uh, uh, surface as Peter talks about what true knowledge is and true knowledge in a nutshell is evidenced, is evidenced in how a person live over against what? False teachers who are declaring, who believe that they were, they have this true knowledge of God. But nevertheless, when you analyze, when you look at their lives, their lives are devoid of these things that Peter's going to talk about in chapter one. So that's the foundation of chapter one without actually summarizing chapter one. Kind of almost, almost did that. But let's just get into chapter one. The Lord bless. We should be able to finish this chapter in a single video. But just remember, the whole idea, false teachers, false teachers and false prophets that will arise. The idea in claiming having a tr some sort of a revelation or a true knowledge of God. But he, Peter is saying they don't have a true knowledge of God. Why? Look at their lives. Look at how they are living. OK, so let's just get into chapter one. We'll bring all of these things out as Peter lays the foundation for, for the opening of the second epistle that he writes to these Jews, like in chapter and like in the first epistle of Peter, to these Jews who have been scattered abroad. And once again, even though the letter is written to these particular Jews, it has uh, a practical relevance for Christians in all ages, whether you are Jew or whether you are Gentile. The application is still unto all and quite. And we understand that this is even more so relevant in these last days. All right. Enough of that. Let's just simply get started. Simon Peter, a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. So he opens up his greeting and his salutation. He introduces himself, Simon Peter, by both his Hebrew name, Simon, Shimon, and Peter, the name that Jesus gave him, Greek 
Petros. We know that means a rock. He calls himself a bond servant, which is the Greek word doulos, which literally means a slave, even a household slave. So he recognizes that his primary uh, uh, duty and being to Jesus is that he is a slave of Jesus. And this is a wonderful uh, descriptor of all of God's people, not only just Peter, but all of God's people. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. As Paul said, what you have been bought with a price and you are no longer your own. You no longer belong to yourself. And therefore we are to glorify God with our own. We belong to Jesus because we have been bought with the price of the shed blood of Jesus. So Paul, so here, Peter, I'm sorry, sees himself declares himself as a slave to Jesus as well as an apostle, one who has seen the resurrected Lord, one who has been uniquely chosen of Jesus to go out and speak of Jesus to the world. And Jesus would verify that apostolic ministry of Peter through signs and wonders. That's the whole issue of apostle, but we're not going to get into all of that. But he just simply declares himself to be what? both the slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, to the recipients of the letter, it is interesting to denote how he speaks of those recipients to those who have received like precious faith of ours. Okay, and this faith that Peter is talking about is the faith of salvation. Those who are saved like we are, like we the apostles are. And our salvation is by faith. And what is it? What is that salvific faith? What is that salvation faith that Peter is talking about? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, as he's talking to those recipients, and this will become a very funda this is very fundamental and beautiful within itself as we move to the latter parts of the letter. So let me explain it. As he writes to those recipients, you are understanding what? That you are saved by what Jesus has done alone. You are saved because you believe in both the person. When we say the person, we mean that Jesus is God and Jesus is also a man. He is both God and Messiah man, that he alone lived a righteous life. He fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law of God. He lived perfectly. And that righteous life that Jesus lived is accredited to our account. And Jesus died a sinner's death. He paid the price for all of our sins and God resurrected him on the third day. In that resurrection of Jesus by God the Father, it was the evidence that God had received his sacrifice. And therefore, as Jesus rises from the dead, it is proof that he is Lord over all. By the person and works of Jesus alone. What did Paul say? For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is, that he is God. And you believe in your heart that God has resurrected him from the dead. That is the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. What does Paul end and say? You will be saved. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus alone. And so Peter says to them, you believe. So therefore you have, you share this same salvation that we have. Why? Because we are totally dependent upon the person and works of Jesus for our salvation. We ain't saved by nothing we do. You are not saved because you don't lie. You don't steal. You don't fornicate. You don't. That is not what saves you. That is a salvation of works. What saves you, if you, if indeed you are saved, sharing the salvation of Peter, you are saved by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus alone, salvation by faith 
alone. Now, this is so important as Peter lays this down foundationally, because as he works through the remainder of his letter, he's going to talk about something in addition to this. What? In addition to these things. But nevertheless, let's continue with our commentary on the text. So that's the recipient to those people, these Jewish people, and even to us who understand that we are saved by faith, by grace, through faith in Jesus alone. Then he says what? Now notice this, by the righteousness of our God and Savior. Notice how he uh, refers to Jesus. He refers to Jesus as both what? God and Savior. So here we have, as Peter opens up his letter, the reference to the deity that Jesus is God. Jesus is God almighty. This is not saying that Jesus is the father. No, Jesus is a part of what we call the triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. And God is one. Okay, and this is where we use the name Trinity, the one God reflected in the three persons of God. But the point that Peter here is making is the person of Jesus is a divine person. Peter understands Jesus is not just the Jewish Messiah, but that he is God. And remember, there is no salvation. I cannot emphasize this enough. There is absolutely no salvation for anyone if you do not believe that Jesus is God. What did Jesus say again in John? Go back and look at the beautiful study well, <laughs> with respect to John itself. But the study that we did on John, what Jesus said, for if you do not believe that I am ego a me, you will die in your sins. That reference to himself as deity. We don't have time to hash all of that out right now, but I'm simply emphasizing the necessity of belief that Jesus is God. You believe that he is both what? God and man, Messiah, because he must be man in order to shed his blood to die for your sins. But anyway, but the reference that Peter gives to Jesus is both what God and savior, that is the Christ element of him, that human element of him, the one, the part of that Jesus that was made flesh, that, that needed to die for our sins and experience the resurrection from the dead bodily. Okay, but that is the reference. He opens it up and he says, grace and peace be multiplied and unusual greetings that multiplied unto you. Now notice in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And notice he uses the word knowledge. The word here in the Greek is epignosis, epignosis. Now, there can be two words that are used for Greeks. Normally, the word would be gnosis, and this will speak of a general knowledge. But epignosis is a word that is used for intimate knowledge, or sometimes it'll be translated, as we'll see even later in the text, as true knowledge. That is not just a simple knowledge in general concerning Jesus, but a knowledge of relationship. And that's why I use that particular term intimate, because you indeed have a real relationship with Jesus based upon a certain knowledge. And we're going to talk about that. Peter is going to uh, open exact open that up to exactly what he means by epignosis. Now, once again, this word we will see will be key, especially in chapter one, as I was telling you guys in our introduction for chapter one, this word within itself will become a theme to understand in chapter one, epignosis, true knowledge, because it will be the reflection as Peter is going to develop in chapter two and beyond concerning what the false teachers and false prophet. This, what the false teachers and false prophets do not have. They do not have epignosis. They do not have that intimate knowledge of God and of Jesus. And so he's going to, so he's saying, but here you do have 
You have this true saving faith. You understand what it is that saves you, the work of Jesus alone. And therefore, you also have this true knowledge of, of Jesus and of God, our father. What does he mean when he talks about this epignosis or this true knowledge? And this is what he's going to develop in the remainder of chapter one. And this sets the theme for chapter one. Okay. And it also relates to what all of second Peter, but that true knowledge, saving knowledge of God and of Jesus continuing verse number three, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, I like Peter. I love Peter. I love all of the word of God. And sometimes Peter can say things in a kind of difficult way and kind of thick. But it's not that difficult. We just have to break it down and remain as always in context. Notice what Peter has been talking about, this true knowledge. So Peter is now developing his theme of what he means, the point, what he's trying to say about true knowledge. What is true knowledge of Jesus and of God the Father? This true knowledge that he will later on talk about chapter two and beyond such false prophets and false teachers they don't have. This true knowledge has to do with what? The gift of God in granting to us, I mean, verse number three, the gift of God in granting to us a divine nature. That is, you see, let me say it this way, in a simplistic way. Before we were saved, we only had one nature. And that was a sinful nature, as Paul talks about in the book of Romans, a sinful nature that was inherited by our father, Adam. This came when Adam disobeyed God and therefore Adam received within himself a nature that was against God, the sinful nature of man. And this nature was passed on to every child that was born in the human race, every son of Adam. And that's all we had before the operation of the Holy Spirit. Taking you back now to John chapter three. What does Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. And by this new birth of the spirit, you see, first we had just a physical birth and this physical birth only gave us the sinful nature. But by this new birth of the Holy Spirit, this wonder of God, this gift of God, when the spirit gave us this new birth, he made us the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, made us a new creation. And therefore he gave us, he imparted to us a divine nature. That is, we, we are no longer what we used to be. If any man is in Christ, he is, what did Paul say? A new creation. So therefore, God has imparted to us a divine nature because we have experienced the new birth. And what does this new birth do? I'm still in verse number three. The spirit by the spirit of God, according to the will of God, he has enabled us to live a life of godliness, a life of righteousness, a life of obedience to Christ. And all of this is what Peter is doing in developing what he means when he talks about what? The true knowledge of God. That is, in a nutshell, and let's just lay it out even right now. To possess true knowledge of Jesus and of God, it is evidence in a life of godliness. And that's the main point that Peter is going to drive home. True knowledge, true saving knowledge. If you really know God, if you truly indeed have been saved and notice now, let's go back to what Peter said when he opens it up. He says what? That true, that saving faith like unto us based upon the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
slowing it down because <laughs> I don't want to take too much time. But how is a man saved? For Jesus has done alone. How do you evidence that indeed you have been saved? True knowledge of your salvation. The true knowledge of this salvation is evidenced in how you live. Why? God the Father has given you all of these precious promises. God has given us everything that we need that we that we need in order to. And the word that I'm looking for is enablement, enablement by the giving of his Holy Spirit, by the giving of us this new nature, a divine nature, one that is like unto God, that incorruptible seed that John talks about. By God giving us these things, he enables us to live a life of godliness, a life of righteousness, one that pleases God. And this evidences true knowledge. You got it? True knowledge is always evidenced in how you live. But anyway, let's go on. So what? Verse number three. Uh, for by these, these, um, verse number four, I'm sorry. These promises, and we've kind of talked about that, and the divine nature that God has given us allows us to escape the corruption of the world by the lust that is in the world. In other words, God, by the promises and the gifts that he's given us, by this new spiritual man that the Holy Spirit has birthed inside of us, he enables us to live a righteous life in a sinful world. A world that hates God, does not know God, and that lives in a way contrary to God. But we, on the other hand, having a changed nature, having the true knowledge of God, are enabled to live a life that is what? Acceptable to God in an unacceptable world, right? So notice the idea, true knowledge, and how true knowledge is related to what? how you live your life. But all of this stemming, stemming out of what? Those who have the true faith, knowing what? I ain't saved by how I live. I am saved by what Jesus has done alone. But what is the proof and the evidence of your salvation that you truly have this knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of salvation? Peter says, is how you live. In other words, he relates to what James said. And what does James say in his wonderful epistle concerning salvation, faith, but the lack of works? You don't live right. Having a faith without works is dead. And again, what does James say? Even demons have doctrinal beliefs. Demons understand right and true doctrines. The demons believe and tremble. But what is the difference between them and you? If that's all you're doing is just mentally believing. Where are the life works? So what is he saying? James is saying, even Peter is saying here, what? That the works are an extension. The works are the evidence. How you live is the evidence that you truly have been born again. Or even as John says in his epistle, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Okay, but enough of that because I'm going, I'm going into preaching now. Let's go back to the text. But the point that Peter's trying to make here is true knowledge is evidenced in how a person lives. And this stems from one who has indeed been saved by faith in Jesus alone. All right. So he continues in verse number five. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence in your moral excellence, knowledge in your knowledge uh, and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love. So now notice what he's saying. OK, watch. You're living right. Okay, fine. You have a mindset. You've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. 
Mm, wonderful. You have a true knowledge of what it is to have a relationship with God and even Jesus, right? And this true knowledge, I'm sorry, guys, but I'm trying to make sure I stay within the time frames of all this stuff. But this true knowledge, this true knowledge that you have is evidenced in a godly life. He says, but okay, I tell you what I want you to do. So here's Peter. Then Peter, basically here now, Peter is literally preaching. He said, I tell you what I want you to do. You are living right. All right. Be determined in your living right. Add to this what? Moral excellence. Now, let's just talk about each one of them. We're not going to uh, uh, go deeply into it, but let's just talk about each point on it. Moral excellence. True morality comes not from the corrupt world. True morality comes from the word of God. Add to your Christian living the morality that is taught in what? The word of God. Then he says, and in that moral excellence, living on a moral, morally acceptable way before God, knowledge. And here's where he used that word gnosis. And that word is used in the general sense. That is to attain the knowledge concerning God. And we know we always understand this in the sense of attaining knowledge of God comes from the scripture alone. The scripture alone. It is sufficient for the man of God to be perfect and to be complete and to be complete, as Paul says unto Timothy. But this is the knowledge of God in knowing who God is, even so into knowing how God desires for us to live. Knowledge of God, right? Uh, uh, but, but you know what, guys? I'm sorry. I kind of skipped verse number five as uh, uh, the first part of verse number five. And it is so important. Notice. For this very reason, that is, for this very reason, escape, we have that true knowledge of Jesus, true knowledge of God, because we have been saved and we're going to we want to live right. Notice what he says, applying all diligence. And that's why I got to apologize for skipping that. That is so important because that is going to become an envelope for what Peter is going to say. Applying all diligence. As much as you can, you as hard as you can, given all that you got, live right with everything that you have. Notice what he said. That's what that's what I'm trying to bring out for you guys. That's what Peter is saying. Applying all diligence. It should be the mindset. It should be the hard desire of all of God's people. You know what, Lord Jesus I am. This is my determination and God of heaven. I want you to help me help me with all of my heart. I want to live right. I want to do everything that pleases you. What did Jesus say? What is the greatest commandment? Even the lawyer said it to Jesus when Jesus asked him the greatest commandment of all. You shall love the Lord your God, all your heart all your soul and all of your might. Love God with everything you got. Remember the whole concept, the idea of love is what? Jesus said, for if you do love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. And so what does he say? Giving all diligence. I'm going to live right with everything I got. And that's what Peter's trying to say. So enough of that. In your faith. That is in your living right. Peter says you had to supply what you add to this. That now he gets into that point that we just talked about. What the moral excellence, knowing that morality comes from God, comes from the word of God. And we're going to do that. And moral excellence, what knowledge we just talked about, knowledge, that understanding of the general principles of God's righteousness, who God is, how God wants you to live. And in the knowledge, what self-control and self-control speaks for itself. How to, 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 to I like how Paul says in first Corinthians nine and 27, Paul said, I beat my body black and blue. I don't give in to my fleshly and carnal desires so that lest while I preach to others, I evangelize to others. I witness to others. I myself may not be acceptable before God. So therefore, it's simply saying all of the crap 
Remember when I told you that we have two natures, we have both that sin nature that come that is inherited in us through our father, Adam. But we have this new nature, that divine nature that is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And they, as Paul talks about it in Romans chapter seven, I believe they are always at war with one another. OK, but nevertheless, what? God has given us everything that we need through his spirit. All of these wonderful promises that he has made that enables us to live a life that is pleasing to him. Self-control is to deny all of these desires and urges of the flesh. One thing we always need to recognize, we are still living not only in a sinful world, but we are living in these sinful vessels and these vessels that we live in are always trying to demand whether pride, sexual immorality and all greed and all forms of lust, dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction with God, dissatisfaction with where God has placed us, dissatisfaction with the word of God, whatever it is that inside of this body, is always drumming up something that is displeasing to God. And by God's spirit, we always need to exercise what? Self-control. And that's the idea of what Peter's talking about. But let's keep going. Self-control and self-control perseverance. Perseverance simply means to hold on, to bear up under, that when the things get tough, times get tough, we hold on. When things get difficult, we hold on when things are challenging. It even takes us back to the letter, the first epistle of Peter, when even things are trying and people don't treat you right. Hold on, be obedient to the word of God. Perseverance to hold on. And in the perseverance, what he says, godliness, that is simply the whole generality of godly living, a righteous life that pleases God in all that you do. And in, in your godliness, he says, add to what? Brotherly kindness and definitely how we treat one another in loving one another, being tenderhearted to one another, affectionate one another, merciful with one another, patient with one another, kind to one another. And in the brotherly kindness, he says what? Finally, agape, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if we possessed every gift that the Holy Spirit could give us, understand that the, these things mean nothing apart from the exercise of these things in love. The greatest of all things is agape, is love. And this is what Peter ends it up. And so he says what? The bottom line, he says, you True knowledge, epignosis, this true intimate knowledge of a God, of, uh, of this evidencing of a saved relationship. True knowledge is how you live. And I know that you set your mind that you want to live right. But Peter says, I want you right now to make a decision in your heart that you are going to. You're not just going to settle with I'm living OK. I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. But you're going to make a determination in your heart. I'm going to live for Jesus with all that I got, giving all diligence. And then he says he gives some enumerators. And that's when he talks about this uh, uh, moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and uh, that these doing all of these things and how you want to live a life that pleases your Lord. OK, but let's continue on because it's good to look longer than I anticipated. Verse number eight, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge. Notice that word again of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the interest into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Okay, he, he does it again. He's still kind of thick to read, difficult, but it's still a beautiful thing. So what does he continue to say? He just told us about, he said, okay, 
True knowledge is how you live. Now, don't be satisfied with the data do kind of living. I'm living all right. He said, I want you to live the best that you can, giving all diligence, right? Then he begins, and then he talks about all of those enumerators, the brotherly kindness, the, the love and the self-control. Do it with all that you got. So in verse number eight, he simply says what? For if you are living this way, if you're living for Jesus with everything that you got, these things are yours and you're not settled. You're not set in your mind with that's fine. He said, no, 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 no. I can do better. I can live better. They are yours and increasing. Notice they make you useful and fruitful. Now he actually uses the opposite. That is, if this type of virtuous, virtuous living is absent in your life, if you are not trying to live for the Lord, number one, you don't have the true knowledge of God. Number two, you become what? You are useless and unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. If your life is not evidencing these qualities that Peter just talked about, and basically in a nutshell, these righteous quality, or even if I want to say, I would say it in my own way, if you ain't living right, if you ain't living right, you ain't no use to God. There is no need of you trying to talk about God to somebody else, to witness to God about something, to, uh, to somebody else, to somebody who's not saved. You can go and sit down, get yourself right. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter seven in dealing with the issue of judging or trying to help others? He said, first, you need to remove the plank that is in your own eye before you start, before you try to attempt to remove specks from somebody else's eye. Get your own life fixed first. And what is Peter saying? You ain't no use to God if your life is a mess, if you're living any kind of way, if these righteous standards and qualities are not evidenced true knowledge in your life, you are no use to God. But instead, and I notice that he thinks about in the background of your mind, like false teachers who think they see. Remember what these false teachers said to Jesus? We, we Are we blind as well? And Jesus said, that's your problem. You think that you see, and that's. It. but if you were blind, I can help you. And here's the problem here. If these things, Peter talks about in verse number, verse number uh, nine, if these qualities are not evidenced in your life, true knowledge is not reflected in your life. You are blind. Imagine what the false teachers would think about themselves. They would think that if anything, they could see. Peter is saying absence of a righteous life makes one spiritually blind. True knowledge of God, you don't have. You don't have a true knowledge of God when you don't live right. And here, when he talks about uh, you are blind, having forgotten his former purification. And I don't want to get into or uh, digress into this. Well, it's not so much the digression, but get deeply into this. There are a couple of uh, trains of thought. Forgotten uh, his purification. Is this a reference to a Christian? who has uh, wandered into sin momentarily. Notice I said a Christian, a true Christian, who has momentarily wandered into sin, and therefore this references to him that he has forgotten his former purification. Or is this reference to uh, the idea of one who has never known Jesus whatsoever and believes that he knows Jesus? This is that uh, false knowledge. You are lacking that epic gnosis, that true knowledge. Why? Because if you had a true knowledge, you would live right. But because you're not living right, it shows instead of you actually seeing, you are really blind. And Jesus will say, I never knew you, not you stumbled and you need to get it together, but I never knew you. It could be one or the other. I'm not going to uh, 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 hang myself on either one, 
But I would say it more so suggests that the sense that you really never knew Jesus, as Peter will later on talk about uh, in the end of this epistle about a dog and a pig. But I'm not going to get into that yet. But just remember that I know it's going to be hard to remember that I'll go back to it later on. But the point is what Peter is really trying to say in 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 in, in a foundational sense. He keeps talking about that true knowledge. Notice what it says. Uh, 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 and Peter has been saying true knowledge is evidenced in how a person lives. Then he says what? And if you have this true saving faith ever, I want you to evidence this faith in how you live. And not only that, I want you to give it all that you got giving all diligence to live right. I'm going to live right with everything that I have. And the person who ain't living right, he says what this person, verse number nine, is actually blind. OK, so let's continue on. So therefore, he says in verse number 10, what therefore, brethren, being all the more diligent to make his calling and uh, to make certain his calling uh, and choosing of you. Again, notice that envelope that I was speaking about being all the more diligent. I'm going to live right. How? With all that I got, I'm going to Lord, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to study your word. I'm going to be obedient to your word. Now, you know, I can be foolish. You know, I can be silly. You know all about me. But you know what, Lord? I'm going to give it my best shot. And this is what Peter's trying to say. Being all the more diligent to make his calling and choosing of you. And what does it mean? It means that number one, he's calling and choosing. This is not what you have done. Jesus called. Jesus chose you. Jesus saved you. Remember, it takes us back to what Peter talks about as he opened up to those who have like precious faith. You know that you are saved by what Jesus alone has done for you. You know that. Right. Boom. Now, what you want to do is you want to evidence this in your life. You want to even give yourself confidence, give yourself confidence Jesus has saved me and I'm going to show you the proof that Jesus has saved me. What is the proof that Jesus has saved you? The proof that Jesus saved me, how I live, how I talk, how I walk, what I do. My proof of his salvation is my obedience to Jesus. Again, what did Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And this is what Peter is talking about here. Making that calling sure. Why? For as long as you practice these things, as long as you are trying to live in a way that pleases God, you are growing in the knowledge of God. I'm studying God's word. I'm trying to live with Jesus the best I can, that moral excellence, all of those things that Peter had just uh, enumerated. He says you will never stumble. And then he talks about that entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter is not talking about here. You will be saved by what you do. Mm -mm. He's already talked about earlier what that precious saving faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're saved by what Jesus alone has done. But what Peter is saying is this. What if indeed you have really been saved, if indeed you have true knowledge of your salvation, Evidence it, show the proof of it by how you live. And then he says, what? Well, and in how you live, add, do these things and don't be just satisfied with, I'm all right, I'm all right. No, he said, live with all you got. Because what? When you live with all you got, you show proof that you have indeed been saved. It is the confidence in your own heart that Jesus has saved you. And then here in verse number 11, that interest into the kingdom of God, it shows what? The welcoming that you receive from Jesus himself. When you have lived for Jesus with purity of heart, with humility of spirit, I've been living for my Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you. Forgive me, Lord. I love you, Lord. And you've been living for Jesus with everything that you got. You can say like in the experience of Stephen. Remember, Stephen, he was faithful to Jesus. He, 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 he 
spoke and witnessed of Jesus in, in, in the synagogue, even to the point when they brought him before the Sanhedrin. Nevertheless, he was faithful to Jesus. And as they were stoning Stephen, what did he say? He said he looked up towards heaven and he saw Jesus in an unusual way. Why? Scripture says that Jesus is seated seated at the right hand of God. That's not what Stephen said. Stephen says, I see him standing at the right hand of God. What was Stephen saying? He is welcoming me home. He is saying to me, you have done well. And what is Peter saying here? Peter is saying, when you live for Jesus, you ain't satisfied with that a do kind of living. You are all the more diligent Add to your saving life, moral excellence and righteousness and godliness and brotherly. I'm going to live. Right. He says, you are not satisfied unless you live with God with all your might. He said, you can rest assured that when Jesus sees you, he will welcome you home. That way into the eternal kingdom will be a broad interest. You know everything will be all right. You can kind of say it like the apostle Paul. I have fought what? A good fight. I have kept the faith. I finished my course. And you know what Paul, Paul didn't say maybe and might. I have no doubt, says the apostle Paul. What? A crown of righteousness is waiting on me. When you live for God, like Peter just said, all you got, repenting of your sins, hating your sins, you don't have to worry about how Jesus will receive you. Okay, let me finish this. I'm gonna have to move through this because I spent so much time. So he said, verse number 12, therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, have been established in the truth which is present with you, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the land aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So what are you simply saying? He just simply said, he's just simply noting that, uh, uh, his death is near. You remember Jesus talked to him in John chapter 21, I believe. And Jesus told Peter the death that he would die in glorifying Jesus when he is an old man. And so Peter is simply recognizing that his death is at hand, just like Jesus said that he would die and soon he is he will die. So Peter is saying, as long as I'm in this body of flesh, I'm going to keep on reminding you to live right. I'm reminding you by letter to live in a way that pleases God. So I'm going to be faithful to do these things, to bring this to your attention, how it is so needful for God's people to live in a way that pleases him while I'm still alive. And Peter is saying, and I'm going to keep these things before you. I'm going to keep these reminder, this preaching of righteousness, righteous living before you in such a way, verse number 15, I will be so diligent that what? That even that after I'm gone, you will still be able to bring to mind the things that I preach to you. That is, even when I'm dead and gone, you'll remember. You know what Peter kept telling us? Doggone it, you need to live right. And let me even say, let me even say, even for us preachers and evangelists, pastors and teachers and whatever your occupation in the ministry may be, let it be so that, uh, that what you do now, you are constantly teaching and preaching people live right, live in a way that honors God, live in a way that when you see Jesus, he'll welcome you home. And every time that you preach, verse number 15, preach like it's your last time and preach in such a way Teach in such a way that after 
when you are dead and gone and people bring to mind, they, they can't help when they remember you and when they remember the preaching and teaching that you did, they'll say these things. If it's one thing that I can say about Pastor ABC or Evangelist CD or whatever, if it's one thing that I can say about them, they will tell you live right. Live in a way that honors God. Always repent of your sins. Always have a spirit of humility. Hate the pride that is in you. You want to live for Jesus with all your might. And let this be the epitaph of remembrance for you, even when you are dead. Okay, enough of that. But that's what Peter is simply saying here. He wants to remind them to live in a way that pleases Jesus, even when he himself is dead and gone. Let's try to bring this to a close. In verse 16, for we did not follow. What motivates you, Peter? What moves you to do the things that you do, to live the way that you live, to preach the way that you preach, and why these people should do what they do? What is your motivation? Verse 16, for we did not follow clearly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Now, again, Peter uses that thick language, but let me tell you what he was saying in a nutshell. All he is doing is reference. He's comparing two things again. What motivates you, Peter? What motivates you? What moves you? Why do you preach the way you preach? Why do you live the way you live? And why are you saying to these people, why are you preaching like this to them to live how you, like you're telling them to live? Why? 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 Peter said, he said, let me tell you something. He said, let, let me give it. Let me give you some examples, a couple of examples. And they're going to be a contrasting example. He said, first, I'm going to take y'all back. Matthew chapter 17, he said, but there was on, an occasion when Jesus said to the people, listen to him. There'll be some of you standing here today who will not taste of death until you see the son of man in his glory and the glory of his kingdom. The Bible says six days later, what Jesus took with himself. He took three witnesses, Peter, James and John up into a very high mountain. And there one of the most magnificent things happened to Jesus that we have ever seen in our lives. What happened to Jesus? He was transfigured. Man, his face changed. His appearance changed. His clothing changed. He shone like the sun at his full strength. We couldn't look upon his face. All we could do was bow down to the excellent glory. Then all of a sudden, the glory clouds of heaven began to move. Uh, and then what did you see? Moses appeared. Elijah appeared. And then all of a sudden, that thundering voice from heaven came. That glory voice from the majestic. This is my beloved son in whom I I am well pleased. And Peter, John and James was shaken, laying on that ground like dead, too scared to even look up. Peter, not knowing what to say, saying, God, oh, Lord Jesus, it's good for us to be here. It shook them to their core. This experience, this experience shook them to their core. He said this in itself is enough to move a man to the gospel. This enough within itself is to motivate a man. But Peter gives a contrasting element. He says in verse number 19, apart from this experience that we experience, we heard the voice of God utter the words concerning Jesus. But a contrast apart from this experience he said, we have a more sure word. We have the prophetic word. We have the written word. We have the scripture. In other words, what is Peter trying to say? Even greater than the experience that we had in that holy mountain, 
we were there. We don't need nobody to tell us about experience. We can tell you about experience, but we have something even greater than any experience that can happen to a person. What is greater than any experience? The word of God. And even I say unto you, and Peter will say unto you, the written word of God that is understand for saints today. Okay, let me just break it down to you. Let me just finish it. Kind of preach it out, uh, practical talk it out. What you think is not important. How you feel is not important. I believe God said this to me. I had a dream and I believe that God was saying this to me in a dream. You probably, you may have eaten too much, those pinto beans that you ate. I, I saw this and this miracle and I believe that God was delivering. Okay, greater than any experience that you think that you may have had, that you may have experienced. What Peter is saying, he, Peter said, we had experiences too. We had them. We were in the holy mountain of God. We And those experiences we had, unlike some of the junk that we think that we have today, those experiences that we had is true. He said, but there is something greater than any experience, and that is the word of God. We judge all things by the word of God. The word of God is greater than any experience. It is the measure of all things. What did John say? John says, believe not every, every spirit, but judge the spirits, whether they be of God. And how do you judge the spirit, whether it be of God or not, as spiritual experience? By that which is unchanging, what Peter is saying, the word of God. We are never so much as moved by an experience as we hold as foundational, as we hold as the truth, the word of God. And it is that word of God that Peter is holding to, that word that is motivating Peter to believe what he believes, to live how he lives, and Peter is ex encouraging, exalting these believers to do the same. Why? That word of God. And what? why? What is so important about the word? What is the nature of that word that makes it different from experiences and human experiences versus number 20 and 21 as we close it out? But know this first of all, what? that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Contrary to what any experience of a man might be, might be, it might be just simply of a man, but the scripture itself is different in its nature. Why? It is not of any human experience. It did not derive from the mind of a man, from the will of any man, from the desire of any man, from the imagination and thoughts of a man. The Holy Spirit came from God. What did Paul say in 2 Timothy chapter 4? That the word of God is theonoustos. It is God breed. It is given by what we say, inspiration of God. The scripture comes from God. God used men. He used men, but the scripture itself comes from God. Therefore, it is the word of God. Therefore, what? You can take confidence in what you are believing. You can take confidence to live this way by the scriptures. Why? Because it is the voice and the word of God itself. It moves us. It motivates us. It is the reason for why we do what we do. It is our foundation, the word of God. 
scripture because it came from God. Or as Peter says it here, he used a navigational picture. He uses what? A navigational picture. He says, holy men, as they were being moved along by the spirit of God, they wrote, they prophesied. Okay. So, all right, they're going to bring that to an end. And so what is Peter talking about as he opens it up? The idea and theme of this letter, true knowledge, true knowledge. First, first chapter one, <laughs> chapter one, true knowledge over against what he's going to talk about in chapters two and three. False teachers trying to act like they got knowledge, but they don't because if they truly had knowledge, they would live in a way that pleases God. But since they don't, we're going to talk about that. Since they don't, it is the evidence that they don't have true knowledge. But you Christians who have faith like ours, you got a faith that knowing that I'm saved, how? By the righteousness of my Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not saved by what I do. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to evidence this salvation in how I live. And you know what Peter says? And you know what you're going to do? Just not just, you're not going to be satisfied with just a data do life. You're going to give all diligence. I'm going to live for Jesus with everything that I got in every way that I can think about. He said moral life and godliness and brotherly kindness and knowledge and and self-control in an ungodly and a God-hating world. Peter said, because when you live for Jesus with this type of a love and devotion to Jesus, it evidences that indeed you have the true knowledge. When you don't, it evidences that you are blind and really don't know Jesus at all. But in living this way for Jesus, you can rest assured that when you see Jesus, he'll welcome you home. You can be confident at the appearance of Jesus. And he says, and you know what motivates us? What motivates us is no mere human experience. We've had wonderful and powerful experience like seeing Jesus in the holy mountain, but it was not the holy mountain experience that motivates us and sets the foundation for who we are, what we believe and why we do. What sets the foundation for who and what who, who we are, what we do and why we live is the word of God. And it's this word that we preach to you. And you can therefore be confident in this word. Why? Because this word did not come from any man or any will of any man. This word came from God himself. And that's second Peter chapter one. Okay. Dealing with true knowledge, how it is evidence in the life that we live now. In saying all of that, let us bring us, let us come to a practical sense. Has God touched your heart in this word that you say, you know, I, I do feel a little convicted. I haven't lived uh, like I knew I can. And I haven't given God my all. I have sin in my life, maybe even unconfessed sin. And you know what? I've heard the voice of the Lord in this word through second Peter. I heard Peter and this is, I love it. I love it. I love it. When Peter says, giving all diligence with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Are you living for God like that? You know, if it's not the case and maybe you want to repent, you need to repent. And you know what? I like repenting anyway. That's just me. I just like to repent because I want to give God my all. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this word that you've given through Peter. We come to you humbly. And we ask you, dear Lord, forgive us for all of our sins. Forgive us for all of our transgressions, all pride. Give us an humble heart into the dust itself. We magnify you and you alone. Thank you for the saving of our souls. I am not saved by what I do. I'm saved by grace through faith, by what Jesus has done alone. But Lord, I want to show thanksgiving and appreciation. I want to evidence my salvation by how I live. I can do better. I can live better and I want to live better. Help me, Father, in the name of Jesus, even now and from this day forward, to give it all I got. I want to live way. I want to put a smile on my Savior's face. I want to raise Jesus from his seat 
I want to raise him from his seat like Stephen did. What did Stephen say? I see him standing at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus standing? He is so proud. He is saying unto me, well done good and faithful servant. I want to live like that. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. I, I want to, and Lord, touch me, touch my life, every fashion of my life, in every area. You know, Peter went all throughout godliness. Peter just walked it all through. In every way, I want to live in a way that pleases you. This day, this day forward, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, thanks for joining me in that. It was a little longer than I anticipated, but Nevertheless, glory to God. Anyway, guys, if this video and these videos have been a blessing to you and you want to support me, God has touched your heart. And I'm asking you to, to support me in the continuance of this ministry. There is always a link in the description that you can use to support, to support the ministry and for further teachings. But those who have supported me, thanks guys for all that you do. Anyway, guys, thanks for joining me. Join me next time as we continue on and we get into the very essence of Peter's second epistle and dealing with the false teachers and false prophets. All right, guys, God bless you. See you next time.